Okay, friends, if you have a Bible, if you'd please grab it. Please grab your Bibles and turn with me to 2 John, the book of 2 John. Last week, Pastor Scott introduced us to this book, this pastoral letter that the Apostle John wrote. And Pastor Scott would love to be here with you, but he is recovering from his surgery. And so he covets your prayers. There's a video from Pastor Scott to you on the Facebook page. I encourage you to watch this afternoon if you haven't already seen it to hear how he's doing on the mend. He is walking with his new hip. He had a hip replacement and uh, the Lord has been gracious to him. The surgery, however, was a bit more complicated than they anticipated. And so his recovery time is gonna be a bit longer than they thought. And so please do pray for Scott. So I am stepping in for Pastor Scott to preach to you from Second John. Last week, he introduced the book to us, practicing the truth and protecting the truth were the two big themes of the book of Second John. And if you have had time to find it, if you'd please stand with me, we will read the book of Second John together. There are no chapter divisions in Second John. It is simply 13 verses. Please give your attention to God's word. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but all also who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. And if anyone comes to you and does not bring his teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I just want to say hello to Irie Warren for a second. Hey, TJ, Anna, Irie. Irie, this is the first time you've heard a sermon preached live because you've been born and heard these over the TV. And I I pray one day that you hear thousands of these and that you come to treasure Jesus, sweetheart. It is so good to see you here. $23 million is the price 
that the Green Bay Packers are willing to pay David Bakhtiari to protect their quarterback. $63,013.70 a day goes to number 69. All 311-pound David Bakhtiari, who, as of November, became the highest-paid NFL lineman in history. NFL general managers know to put the resources in places that preserve, protect, and defend the integrity of the team. And the Apostle John, like a good NFL general manager, knows that the integrity of the truth is worth protecting. By the truth, John means the teachings of Christ. He says that down in verse 9. This includes all that Jesus approved as God's revelation in the Old Testament and all that he taught personally and through his apostles taught after his ascension. That is the New Testament. And he calls the protection of this truth. John calls the protection of this truth an interesting word. He calls it abiding. If left tackles need to know the proper techniques of their stance and their feet work and a zone block and a down block, then certainly also the church needs to know the techniques for abiding in the truth. And if John were here today, he might sum up the entire letter of 2 John like this. Abiding in the truth is essential to maintaining brotherly love. Abiding in the truth is essential to maintaining brotherly love. That is the summary of the entirety of the book of 2 John. So, what is the truth? How do we abide in it? And what's at stake? We're going to take verses 7 down through verse 13 together and look. What's the truth? How do we abide in it? And what's at stake? First, what is the truth? I mean, isn't that a question that everybody's asking today? For many deceivers, verse 7, have gone into the world. Those do not, do not confess the coming of Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the antichrist. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ. The word confess is homo legeo. Homo, same, legeo, word. It means to say the same thing together, to say the same word together. It means to confess the same thing. Even in worship, we've already said the same words out loud. And to confess that Jesus Christ is in the flesh means to say that we confess that Jesus Christ came in the incarnation. It's a reference back to the incarnation, which is an amazing thing to say that you believed in the first century because God came down from heaven and remained God and somehow would rule over people in a capricious way and they would have to serve that God and if they had favor with that God, he would bless them and if they did something wrong, he would curse them. But no, this, this God, this Jesus who comes in the flesh, he came down in the incarnation and as my sixth grade Sunday school teacher once taught me, God in a bod. Like he came and he came and he became Chili con carne with meat, incarnation. Jesus took on meat. He, he came and he dwelt among us. And this is the confession that 2 John says we must say together. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. 
And the truth has explicit teaching that must be shared as true. And that means, dear friends, that we must as Christians say that therefore there is teaching that is false. And that there are things that are out there that are wrong. (sighs) Put that in your pluralistic pipe and smoke it. And we all know that to be true. Wherever you are in your relationship with Jesus or your spiritual journey, you all know that's true. You all know that there are things that are right and that are wrong, things that must be regulated, things in which you must have boundaries for. For example, in the 1840s, some of you have heard me say this before, but the three most abusive professions in the new world were doctors who were killing people because they were practicing without any kind of regulation, lawyers who were legally abusing people because they were manipulating the law to serve their own needs, and itinerant preachers, pastors who were abusing people by saying this is true when it was really false. And so, in this new country called America, not hardly 70 years old, what did they do? Nathan Davis in Philadelphia in 1847 started the American Medical Association in order to legislate, to license, to regulate who could call themselves a physician. And then 30 years later, in 1878, in New York, the lawyers decided that they would form a bar association, the American Bar Association, under which you must pass in order to be called a licensed attorney. By state, it swept across all of the states of the U.S. at the time because they know they needed to rein in these doctors and these lawyers. But... Because of the separation of church and state, you can never rein in the preachers. And so you had no idea if they were telling you what was true in the Bible and not. And so the uniquely, unique idea of denominations, which is a uniquely American idea, became the way that they regulated ministers. But even then, they didn't have the force of law, did they? And so if the Methodists rejected somebody or the Presbyterians said, you're not here, then, then the Lone Ranger pastor went out and started his own church. And that is still at work today. And everybody knows you need to regulate medicine and you need to regulate law. I mean, everybody knows that, no matter where you are in your relationship. You want a surgeon, when you lay down on that operating table, to know how to replace the hip. You want a lawyer, when you go and ask for legal advice, to know what he is doing. In the first century, itinerant prophets and preachers were given an enormous amount of prestige in those days. It was like you take the prestige that you feel toward accomplished surgeons and toward very good lawyers and clear teaching preachers and you put them all together. That was the kind of prestige an itinerant preacher had in the first century. And with that kind of prestige means it was liable to all sorts of abuses. And so John here warns the congregation, look out for these deceivers. People who do not confess that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. In the first century, these itinerant preachers were famous for abusing people. Even the pagan uh, uh, satirist Lucian said, that there was a man who found the easiest possible way of making a living by going from community to community to community, preaching a supposed gospel that no religion found legitimate. But he lived a very comfortable lifestyle. He paints in this early Greek book called Peregrinus. 
this very comfortable lifestyle because he abused people serially. And so John's looking out for the young church to the elect lady and her children. That is a reference, a metonym for the church to whom he's writing. And if today we want the surgeons of the body and the surgeons of the law to be regulated, should we not also equally care about the surgeons of the truth of God? Logically, of course, we do. The problem is not that we know that clear teaching of what is true is important. But rather, the problem is we can't agree on the source of truth. And those of you who are students of history know that this problem became exacerbated with many wonderful gifts we have in contemporary America today. It started in the 16th century with the Enlightenment. And the notion was removed that biblical revelation revealed truth was the king and we with hearts that are tainted and broken in rebellion need to look to something outside of ourselves. All of a sudden we removed the authority of God's word from the throne and we stuck our own hearts up there and we said you can do anything you want pull yourself up by your bootstraps you can achieve anything you believe go for it and while that kind of um, chicken soup for the soul colloquialism sound nice to us on t-shirts and, and children no matter if you're educated in public school or private school or home school like you are saturated with that stuff by the time you turn 18 and we as Christians have to be the ones who continue to remind people that there, is thing, there are things that are true and there are things that are untrue about the nature and the reality of the world. Erroneous teaching had already begun to proliferate in the early church. And John emphasized the importance of revealed truth in at least five ways in this book. He based his own love on it, verse 1a. He based the love of all Christians on truth. He based his writing of the epistle on the truth, verse 2. He based the great Christian graces of grace, mercy, and peace, verse 3, on this truth. And he commended his readers for, to base their entire lives on it. Verse 4. Gnosticism, docetism, Apollinarianism, Corinthianism, a whole bunch of other isms that are fun to talk about one day in an AM discipleship class, attacked who Jesus was in the first century. And John here has given us clear teaching that Jesus in the incarnation was God and man. The theologians call that the hypostatic union. He was God and man. He wasn't partly God and fully man. He wasn't partly man and fully God. He was both, which is the amazing mystery of the work of the redemption of the gospel. We as fallen humans needed an adequate substitute, someone who was fully human. And we who were fallen by sin needed an adequate sacrifice, someone who could be perfectly holy where we couldn't. We needed God. And God in his brilliance, just like in creation, said, I've got the solution. I'm going to send you something beautiful. I'm going to send you my son. And the Antichrist here, he says that they're a deceiver. They're an Antichrist. He doesn't mean that they are the Antichrist. He means that they are an Antichrist. Anyone who says that Jesus did not come in the flesh in the New Testament is considered a deceiver or an Antichrist. Someone, we may say, who's 
incredibly evil. That person is the very devil himself. We don't mean he's literally the devil. We just mean he is living in a way that reflects Satan or the devil. Or this man is living in a way that reflects the Antichrist himself. In verse 9, it says, Everyone who goes ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. What is this truth? It's someone who goes on ahead of revealed revelation. Proago means to go beyond. Ago means to go and pro, go before. So it means to go before. And it is not so much that there's not progress in theology. It means that you are progressing beyond the bounds of the content of revealed truth in Scripture. Please hear me say that again. We will spend all eternity together, friends, learning. All of us will be students in heaven, and we will learn for all eternity the beauty of Jesus, of which now we only see it but a glimpse. You just see a keyhole. You can read the greatest theological tome ever. Pick your favorite theologian that shows you the beauty of Jesus, and that's like looking through a pinprick of how amazingly beautiful God is. And we will progress in our own theology in heaven. We will go on. We will keep going. But what John says is you don't go beyond what Scripture teaches. Heaven will show us the depth of Scripture and its breadth, but we will always be consistent with Scripture even into eternity because we'll be in the presence of Christ. Now remember... um, Progress that denies the fundamental truth of the gospel is not progress. It is retrogression. And many people who feel like they're going beyond the Bible, many people who feel like, well, I've done the the Jesus thing. I've done the church thing. I want to go on and do something new. The problem is they're still fiercely religious, whether they claim to be religious or not. You can't have it both ways. I mean, remember the, the whole proposition of Second John is abiding in the truth is essential to maintaining brotherly love. And not only does that truth involve propositional Christian doctrine, but it also requires a kind of Christian vigilance to stay true to it, which takes us to our second point. How do we abide in it? How do we abide in this truth? Notice what John says. He says, verse 8, to watch yourselves that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. To watch, blepo in Greek, doesn't happen by accident. It means to gaze with intentionality, to peer at something, to look hard. It's like looking down through a microscope. My, one of my sons for Christmas got a little microscope from his grandparents. And you peer through this microscope and you turn on the light underneath it. And you, you focus and you gaze and you look and you try to find the little exoskeleton of the bug. You focus. And that's what blepo says. You're focusing. It's not like you just look. You're focusing your affection, attention, energy on something. And not lose what we have worked for. That probably refers to all of the efforts that this young church has made in ministering to their community. All of their pastoral, all of their missional gains that they have made. That's what they mean. That don't lose what you've worked for. It's not referring to salvation. It's referring to the practical influence in that local community. So how are we to abide? First, we abide by being in Christian community with others. Watch yourselves. It doesn't say watch yourself. It says watch yourselves. Plural, not singular. Watch yourselves. Now that doesn't mean you live in a Christian ghetto, heaven forbid. 
You don't live in a Christian ghetto, but you watch yourselves. A community, a healthy Christian community has a semi-permeable membrane around it, which means that people go in and out. Just like the auger walls, as hard as it is to leave, to see them leave us, like we're sending them out. Our community is not a little Christian ghetto. It's not like a cult, Hotel California. That's not what the Christian community is about. It's about living in the midst of the dynamism of your life in a culture and in a community where the gospel is preached because you are listening to a thousand other voices and you come to one place again and again and again to hear God's word tell you what is true in a world full of spin. We are a community of people who live through the thick and the thin. And we watch out for one, other, one another for our own good. Uh, on Saturday, um, uh, you know, Dustin Dye leads this, this ham radio group uh, at Trinity House the first Saturday of every quarter. And they met yesterday at Trinity House. And I was talking to some of these, these gentlemen and these ladies. And they're all ham radio operators. They can talk all over the world. It's amazing what they do. And they were, they were talking about how in the midst of watching all their friends struggle with depression and mental health amidst COVID, like they were like amazingly healthy mentally because their hobby just lended itself to do what it normally does. They talk to everybody every day. And so their hobbies really didn't change. I mean, they, they had the network to communicate with people all over the world. And their friendships just grew. And what a beautiful picture of the church that is. That no matter in war or in pandemic or in catastrophe, the church has the networks, the byways and the highways for us to be in relationship with each other. And the primary way we do that in this church is by community groups. And if you're not in a community group, oh, please, would you pray about jumping in one as we start them up again in January? We want you to be in a community group where in the midst of all of this, the closest people who know you, know what's going on with you, know how your Christmas went, know what happened, they know you and they love you. We live in community together. This week I read an article on ESPN about the, the time that, that Allen Iverson first gave advice to LeBron James when LeBron was just a rookie coming into the league. And I, Allen Iverson said to LeBron, he says, they will love you now, but they're waiting. <laughs> they're waiting for you to mess up. They're waiting for you to sin. They're waiting for you to publicly do something that embarrasses them and they will crush you. And you will never get out of the shame of being a famous basketball player, LeBron. And children, what the church is for us is you're going to mess up. We're going to sin. All of us are sinners. We're going to sin. But the church is the only place that doesn't say, we're waiting for you. The church is the place that says, our arms are open to you. Come in repentance. See the beauty of Jesus. Join me in repentance side by side. I'm not standing over you looking down upon you. I'm standing side by side with you. Let's look at the cross together. Like where else do you find a place where there is a no judgment sign across the top of the door? We want you to walk in truth. We want to love you. And notice that John in this book, he laces love and truth together throughout the whole book. Love is the basis of his letter. Whom I love in truth, verse 1. It's just shot through this work. Love and truth have to go together. So the first way that you abide in the truth is that you are in community with other believers. 
You watch your life and doctrine closely, Paul says. You persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. John says it like this in verse 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. And whoever, there it is, abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. The second way you abide in the truth is that you're in communion with God. Truth in practice results in deeper communion with God. And abiding doesn't just involve intellectual assent to a set of propositional truths or a list of rules or orthodoxy. It also involves a vital relationship which God leads us, controls us, shapes us, has authority over us. And we walk in the light of God's countenance and truth. 1 John 1, 7. And because God looks at us with open arms and says, come, my child, come to me. I want you to see, I want your joy to be deeper. I want you to run to me. I know you feel shame. Leave that shame at the foot of the cross and come. And he opens his arms to us that we may know what it's like to have true communion with God. The challenge for me as your pastor is to know where each of you are in your communion with God because 2020 ran over us like a truck. And I know where many of you are and our session knows where many of you are, but some of you I don't. And it's our job as a session to pray over you, to know your stories and to hear how you're doing and to love you where you are amidst all of your challenges. And so we want to hear stories about how work is going. We want to hear stories about how family is going. Why? So we can pray over you and encourage you in the truth. We can deepen your communion with God, not so that you can be dependent upon your church in an unhealthy way, but so that you can know that God's hands and feet go out to you through the shepherds of the church to encourage you. Because sometimes you just need amidst COVID a hand on your shoulder to say, it's going to be all right. And to hear a psalm read over you and to hear a prayer prayed over you and to be in your home and to love you and care for you. Would you in 2021, would you lean in toward each other in ways that we were frankly not allowed to do in 2020 because of the pandemic? Our session several weeks ago had a half day retreat and the theme that came out of that session retreat was for 2021, we want our church to worship and fellowship Leading to ministry. We want people in our church to worship and fellowship in a way that leads them to use their gifts in ministry. And I pray that that's true for you. That as you learn to use your gifts for ministry in 2021, that worship and fellowship leading to ministry will become the banner over you this year. And we can all begin to live a relatively, we pray, normal life as we saw it pre-2020 in fellowship, in communion. And Lord willing, we're able to even have a building of our own by the end of 2021. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be great. That doesn't change the fundamental call that we have as a church to love each other and to be in each other's lives. And whether it be a pandemic or anything else, we've got to fight fiercely to preserve those friendships. And most of you know what I'm talking about. It's so easy to isolate. You can't do it. Oh, we have a lot to learn from the ham radio operators. So, 
What is the truth? How do you abide in the truth? You're in community with others. You abide by being in communion with God. And how do you know if you're abiding in the truth? John wrote that it's the love for others that's the fruit of abiding. John regarded love for others as the essential sign that you're obeying the commandments of God. When we obey God, we do what is best for others. That is what it means to love others. When we abide in the truth, we will love. If you try to abide in the truth without love, it's... um, my, my youngest son, Augie, is, is very particular about the kinds of clothes that he wears. And if moms, if you have children like this, you know how exciting it can be. And so we bought Augie a, 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 new, a new sweater. And, and Augie tried this new sweater on. And it was, it was like brand new. It was like, it's great. This is going to be great. And it was like the color. He picked out the color. It was like, it's going to be awesome. And he puts on the sweater. And he's like, uh, don't like it. It's itchy. It's itchy. And itchy sweaters. Like itchy sweaters are like having truth, but I mean, love, but no truth. Like if you love and have no truth, it's like an itchy sweater. It's like you can wear it for a little while. You can play that game. You can say, hey, I love everybody. Listen, my theology is just love, 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 love. You can wear that sweater for a little while, but brother, it itches. And you ain't going to wear it for long. Why? Because it itches. Like there's no substance to it. And, and there's no bounds to it. You're, gonna, you're not going to be able to pull that off for very long. Why? Because you have to find what love is. Which itself is an exclusivistic religion. And so you say, well, Christians, I can't possibly be a Christian because they're so exclusive. Well, welcome to the club, bro. The truth is that the human heart is such that we all have exclusive religions. We just need to be able to be honest with ourselves and admit what those are. And isn't it amazing that Christianity is the only religion that holds up the world where we actually have the foundation to love others because God himself that we worship is love himself. Triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He teaches us what it means. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father in this great divine dance for all eternity. And they have invited us back into the dance. Get in the dance. Love others. And that's when you find the footwork is starting to work. When you forget about, you know, when you, you know, when you, you know, when you, um, when you learn how to dance, like I dance with my daughter sometimes in the living room. And, um, you know, when you learn to dance, you just stop thinking about where your feet go and you just dance. That's what we pray as a session happens to you over 2021. That you don't, now what's my spiritual gift? Now how do I do this? Now you just start to dance, do your thing. Serve others, love others, see them as more important than yourself. And when you do that, you begin to have this amazing sense of what's at stake, which is the third point he's trying to make. What's at stake? Our joy, he says. That's what's at stake. Verse 12, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be made complete. He he said earlier in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, he said, and we write these things to you so that our joy may be made complete. In John chapter 15, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you obey my commandments, you will remain in my love as I have obeyed my Father's commandments and remain in his, that your joy may be complete. Don't you see what the gospel is really after? 
It is not after making you morally righteous. That will happen in time because you're worshiping a morally perfect God. But what's at stake here is your joy, your utter deepest sense of commitment and satisfaction. Jonathan Edwards says the greatest satisfaction you could possibly have is realizing that you could be satisfied nowhere else except in the triune God. And when that begins to happen for you, the penny drops. And you begin to understand the nature of the upside-down-ness of the kingdom of God. And when John says, I want to talk to you face-to-face, there's an idiom there. And if Scott were here, he would preach this. This, this is straight from Pastor Scott's notes, this part, because he wanted to emphasize this. And so it's a joy for me to be able to help emphasize this for his sake. Face-to-face really is stoma prostoma in Greek. It means mouth-to-mouth. It means we share the same confession. It means I want to come to you. In English, you say face-to-face, but in the ancient world, you would say, I want to come to you mouth-to-mouth, which to us kind of sounds, oh, pandemic, yuck. But you know, like mouth-to-mouth in the ancient, <laughs> my children would probably say, gosh, dad, you should go to the Middle East because like bad breath in the, ancient, the, the, the Near East was actually a sign of intimacy. <laughs> and here it's a sign of really bad coffee. And like if, you, if you, like if you talk in the Middle East and you're close to each other, you share halitosis. You share bad breath. You share breath. And so in the ancient Near East, it says, we want to come and talk to you mouth to mouth. We want to see each other face to face. And isn't that interesting? Mouth to mouth. We want to share the same word together. The same word. The same living word. The Lord Jesus Christ. In Christ we have the abiding word of God. Not merely words on a page. Which of course are extremely important. Because they show us the nature and the bounds of what is true in God's word. But we have a person who is the living word. And when we gaze upon Christ, do we confess him together? Do we see him? Do we worship him? The church, of course, is not an NFL football team. But like an NFL general manager, we too must choose where to put our resources. There are no stars on this team. There is only one head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that we are all co-heirs together. And what matters is the cultivation of love among us and the protection of the truth. And if you cultivate the love without protecting the truth, then you have a lot of encouragement and sentiment, but no real grasp of what is good for you. And if you cultivate the truth without love, oh, well, we have seen the abuse that comes from that as well because there are many people we know, we can name them, that are running from the church today because the church did not manifest the very thing that Christ himself came to demonstrate. And that is, I want to share the love that I have had with my Father and the Holy Spirit for all eternity with you. And you must protect it. You must guard it. It may not cost you $23 million, Instead, it'll just cost you your faith, which is something, quite frankly, too priceless for money to buy. Where is yours? See your Savior, the embodiment of truth. Run to him in this table and rejoice that he calls you his own.
Let's pray. Father, would you take our hearts and would you saturate it in your truth? And would you help this church to be a place that protects the truth and that can also admit when it is wrong in the application of its truth? Where we are the first to confess our sins personally and corporately, where we know that the confession of sin is not a liability, but it is a great privilege because we have a God who loves us infinitely and tenderly and personally. And Father, if there are those who have never come to know you, would you open their heart to believe, even today, that the greatest display of truth is found on the cross where you died for us in our sin. Shape us, we pray. Challenge us by the truth, we pray. Help us to admit what truth we have claimed as our own and help us to be able to be honest and compare it to what God's word teaches us. And if we doubt scripture, oh Lord, would you work in our heart to show us that even through the challenges that we may bring to it, it is an anvil upon which all hammers ultimately fall. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.